Hi, everyone, and welcome to the ADSR Inspirations Podcast. My name is James Mallion. I'm your host as I introduce you to inspirational and artful souls from all over the world. I'm deeply interested in music, film, the arts, achieving goals, overcoming struggles, and big ideas. So join me as we uncover some life lessons and knowledge. We're based out of Tokyo, Japan, and we'll be speaking with people from all over the world, ranging from artists, musicians, creatives, leaders, big thinkers, and those who strive to do and be great. Thanks for listening along. Now let's get inspired. Hey everyone, it's your host James here, getting into the tail end of our season two here on ADSR Inspirations. I'm really excited for this episode as I've been trying to make this interview happen for a little while now and we finally were able to make it work. We actually had to do the interview over a couple of sessions, but I think it turned out all right in the end. Our guest on this episode is Will Robinson, originally from Perth, Australia. Will has now made Japan his home for the past 14 years or so. Since arriving here in Japan, while taking a break from his graphic design studies in Australia, Will has been on a bit of a journey personally and professionally. He's worked in various art-related fields, attended a Japanese language school, studied art formally at a four-year art university here. He's dabbled in cooking, art installations, graphic design, 3D modeling, and more recently has developed a passion for furniture making. Will divides his time between the city and the countryside and has embraced studying from and promoting local artisans, often in remote locations. He's currently located in the Amami Oshima Islands, where he did this interview from, which is a subtropical island situated between Kagoshima and Okinawa. I really enjoyed chatting to and hearing Will's story. So this one runs a little bit long, but I think you will all enjoy some of the lessons and stories Will has to tell us today. So let's get to it. Here's my chat with Will Robinson. Welcome back to ADSR Inspirations, and I'm really happy to get to sit down and talk with today's guest. 14 years ago, I guess, Will moved here with the intention of potentially staying for a short time and then possibly returning to Australia to uh, complete his studies. However, uh, things don't always work out as you plan, and the allure of the culture, traditions, and opportunities to study the traditional arts and crafts here compelled him to extend this stay indefinitely. So I'm really happy to welcome to the show, Will Robinson. Thanks for having me. It's great to have finally have lined this up from all the obstacles and schedules. Yeah, cheers, man. Yeah, thanks, Will. Uh, like you said, few obstacles, but we finally got there. And I know you're really busy and your schedule's kind of, uh, you know, always changing. So... Thanks for coming on and making the time. Yeah, absolute pleasure. So you've been uh, living and trading art in Japan, so I guess around uh, 14 years now, right? Uh, I've been living in Japan for 14 years <clears throat> and always been involved in art 
pretty well from the beginning, but just basically small kind of community shows, a couple groups of friends just, you know, getting together and putting on a show was never really anything that serious at the beginning. But then I suppose as my interest in Japan kind of grew and it expanded to more kind of areas, uh, different industries and stuff, then just kind of naturally progressed without ever me really being conscious of it. Mm. That right. makes sense. Yeah, 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 for sure. Just kind of progressed uh, along with your progression, I suppose. Your art kind of uh, grew yeah. along with your journey. Um, so I guess I'm curious like to trace your path a little bit. Did you, uh, growing up, did you kind of envision ever envision something like this were you uh were you always interested and involved in in art when you were in australia and when you were in perth and whatnot uh yeah i was always interested in art and always involved in that probably like art and nature and individual sports like surfing and skateboarding or any of those sports more cultures you know where it has an artistic or creative link to it unlike kind of team sports so much you know with skateboarding or surfing there's the music the art the nature the geography of it the, and the whole culture that goes around it it's kind of it's all-inclusive creativity which i love mm -hmm. um i never really looked at art as like fine art as a passion so much it was more in the subcultural kind of regard mm -hmm. i suppose uh, i was always interested in it but i would Never ever have kind of, if I dreamt of the future, imagined that it would lead me to where I am now. It was just a kind of a whim for me to come to Japan, like super bored of design school, graphic design school, and where I could imagine that future was going to take me. Just like after third year, I kind of, I would say burnt out in that kind of modern way. I just was just not interested in it whatsoever. Mm. Uh, I thought I'd take a break, refresh, go back, finish it, and then just came over here and just the, the society was just captivating and it was so interesting and just, you know, without you even knowing it, like something piques your interest and then before you think that's kind of over with, something else comes along like there's that there too. And then, you know, that kind of leads into this and it's like you never really fully feel like you've kind of mastered all of it or any of it mm. there's always like something just around the corner mm -hmm. like even living in tokyo kind of lived there majority of for like 10 years and then i thought i was kind of done with japan but then started to travel around the countryside a bit more and then just you back down to ground zero again just learning everything all over again like oh i knew tokyo i knew nothing about japan kind of mm, yeah so it's yeah it's totally such a bizarre kind of country for that i think it's probably a lot of people you talk to kind of echo that similar mindset I imagine mm -hmm. yeah i have heard that and you know certainly experienced that myself um having been here almost almost 14 years myself now, uh, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. Um, so I guess let's, let's kind of 
rewind a little bit and get back to so you were kind of always um into like you mentioned you know skateboarding surfing the culture side of it you know there's the music the art that goes with that and then you had so you had entered design school this was this was in perth then yeah yeah that was in perth okay and then you'd gone through a number of years and you were kind of i guess that was coming near the end and you kind of envisioned um how that would turn out or like potential future careers um along that path was it was there was just a couple of things that my professors said at that time which kind of like uh, gave me kind of moments of clarity like without them meaning for it to do that i think it had the you know ultimate consequence whereby for instance like in first year they said you know now with youtube and with the internet you know anybody can learn adobe photoshop or illustrator you just need a tablet some experience and some inspiration uh but you have to come to design school because we'll teach you the fine points and i was just like do we anybody can learn just from the internet and like but you shouldn't learn from the internet it's like yeah but you just said that it's a pretty good format to be able to learn to kind of more customize your your um, skill set you might have a very broad skill set in design school because they teach you everything but and with the intent you could kind of like hone it so that was one thing they said where it's kind of that started off like do i need to be here really mm. and another thing was uh, a teacher said that we're not when i was like really not interested the teacher said to me we're not here to force you to learn we're here to give you the skill set and the tools to be able to just go off and learn by yourself to do what it is that you want to do with the skills and like after he said that that was pretty much like game over for me <laughs> right i don't think i need to be at the school to be able to be doing this i'm not saying that's that's for everybody uh just with where i was at that time it felt like i maybe this isn't the right fit for me or maybe i do need to go out and explore to see what other things there are with the skills i already have mm -hmm. and just kind of see where that goes <clears throat> mm -hmm. And I think at that time I was really interested with like Japanese design and arts and music, like not the modern, but more like 1970s to 90s Japanese culture. I was really interested in that time. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to go over and see kind of what made Japan able to produce those kind of artists or those kind of cultures. Mm -hmm. Right. I guess in terms of uh, like your own style and your own art that you were making or you were interested in at that time, um, you know, in those first few years while you're going to design school, what kind of things were you uh, were you creating or were were you uh, passionate about? Um, well, I guess I said again, the majority of the influence came from like surfing and, and skateboarding and street art. Uh, 
So I was still, you know, really heavily influenced by predominantly like graffiti and street art and like skateboard graphics, music, uh, record graphics. And, and that's the kind of stuff that I was really still making. It was a little bit more raw kind of, uh, like a kind of a basket slash punk kind of hip hop, uh, around kind of mix you know like bubble letters and kind of scratchy drawings with this kind of like holes and kind of colorful displays and everything but it wasn't really that like technically precise it was far more expressive in its nature you know in an energetic way and i found at graphic design school they kind of were always trying to train that out of you to make everything you know, like a good graphic designer, not to take anything away from graphic design, because I think it's amazing uh, what a good one can do. But uh, I feel like for me to just have to make everything clean and almost non-representative specifically of one genre was difficult to really do. I felt like I was heavily influenced and I wanted to show all of that style, but it couldn't really translate that into computer graphics it was always more physical yeah and on like a computer's kind of small canvas as well it's hard to really emulate like a big brushstroke you know yeah. or full body movement which illustrates like an energetic approach to something so i just felt early on that like digital wasn't the right fit for me mm -hmm. sure and I that was the main thing that I think really kind of prevented me from wanting to go further, <clears throat> even right. though I have quite a lot of things that continued on going and they're making amazing stuff. And it's like great to see that yeah, just wasn't really the fit for me. Right. Right. Yeah. And then I guess connecting it back to Japan, you mentioned, um, your interest in, you know, sort of the 1970s to 1990s, um, artwork and design when did uh like where did that come from like is that uh is that kind of art you know like prevalent throughout australia or did you really have to search it out or like how were you exposed to some of uh some of this japanese art that you were kind of referring to i suppose um probably the earliest connection was like late night uh sbs there's a tv channel called sbs which <laughs> anyone in australia would be aware of but it's like a kind of world media content so they take there's a lot of uh like japanese media chinese italian or european kind of content um and always like they would have on the weekends these like late night 90s kind of more in the dark, you know, like uh, dark city kind of ghost in the shell. Yeah. Uh, they'd be playing these. And when I was like young, like 10 or 11, just kind of like watching this. Because like, that, that era was just in like the 80s was just so raw with the anime that you saw there. As a kid, comparing like Looney Tunes and Ren and Stimpy to like <laughs> this. Uh, what is this kind of world? And that 
stuck with me at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then a friend started to introduce me to like uh, Japanese fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, for me, that kind of it blew my mind because I'd never seen anything that was really playing with like shapes and forms and patterns in that way. And I'm sure there was tons of people who were doing that. But to me, that was the first kind of uh, time I was introduced to something like that. Mm-hmm. And then with fashion, quite often you'd have the music and arts and subculture connected to it all. So that was really probably from anime than fashion. That was kind of the gateway into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, I mean, still I'm interested in fashion, but, but less so. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Kind of what I do means that I can't really wear nice stuff. yeah yeah we'll definitely uh get into that a little bit later on um so i guess you'd mentioned before okay perhaps you'll just take a break you'll go to japan for a year check it out and then maybe complete your degree um what uh how did you come over? Like, what kind of visa were you on? Like, what were your plans when you first came over? Um, what do you recall what year that was and where you were living and everything when you first came? Oh, yeah. Uh, I came in 2009. Mm-hmm. I was living in Gotanda. Mm-hmm. I came over on a working holiday visa. Mm-hmm. Uh, with. Yeah, I don't have a university degree, so I'm not qualified really to get a working visa or anything. Um, pretty naive. No idea about what Tokyo is or where everything is. I knew nobody as well, but that was kind of the fun of it. I kind of wanted to go to a place that I didn't know anybody, anything, and kind of you can have the joy of starting again and just learning basics. But yeah, <clears throat> yeah that first year was quite funny. Because when I arrived in Gotanda, I mean, you've been to Gotanda, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I thought, you know, all of these kind of dreams and images and romantic kind of uh, ideas of what I thought Tokyo would be. I get a train and a drop off in Gotanda, looking around there, like, this, this, isn't, this isn't what I think it's meant to be. <laughs> It's right. just like office workers, uh, a McDonald's, a game center, and then the kind of nightlife, which is quite renowned for kind of female entertainment for the salary workers. So there was no cultural elements around that. The buildings weren't beautiful, but there was no neons. There was nothing. So uh, that was pretty much where I spent most of my time for the first few months because it took me ages to really venture out and uh explore the first month i was just kind of going around just walking around for like hours and hours every day just all over tokyo and i didn't really understand any of the landmarks at that time like i would go i knew harajuku that was about it that was the only landmark that i really knew uh shibuya meant nothing to me shinjuku koenji uh shimokizazawa i had no idea um we would just be walking around pretty much all day mm. and then come back and 
I was like skateboarding too. So I'd just be skating around town, just like seeing everything, seeing if there's any skate cars or any people around. And uh, there wasn't really, there was like a few spots where people would be skateboarding. So you kind of meet them, but they couldn't really speak English. So didn't really learn too much. Um, yeah, it was a really, really interesting time to actually see the city from with like zero knowledge mm-hmm. to just kind of piece together what you think things are and then later on figuring out what they actually are. Mm-hmm. But I'm to piece together this world. Um, but yeah, so it started like that. And then I got a job as an English teacher, the only job I could find, which was in. Well, the only person who would take me on was a small little school out in Horikiri Shogun, okay. which I'd be surprised if you knew it. No. It's, uh, it's past Nippori Way on the same train line that you go towards uh, the KSA skyline towards Narita. Mm-hmm. It's just after the river and it's famous for being close to the Tokyo jail facility, which I learned later on. Right. Okay. So it's, it's like a, really a nothing. You mm-hmm. come out of the station, there's like the old kind of Chinese style ramen place for like 400 yen for ramen and 200 yen for like a bin bearded. And there was the mum and pop kind of store just selling karage. There was a Moss burger and like that was it. Yeah. 200 meters down the road and it's like, that's it. Like there wasn't even really many convenience stores around that time. It was still the local convenience stores. Yeah. I would spend a lot of time out there. Not really much in Tokyo. Um, yeah. That was kind of the origin. So it took a long time for me to actually figure out Tokyo. Really. Right. Right. Um, so I guess at this time, were you um, kind of like taking in the art scene or were you like creating stuff or you were just exploring and getting used to everything and um, you were really just uh, trying to, you know, make heads and tails of your surroundings, I suppose? Uh, I was taking everything. I started to have... Uh, like a visual diary mm-hmm. and it's kind of my way of making sense of everything at the end of the day um, and probably the biggest influence to me at the time was the graffiti and the street art in Tokyo purely because I didn't really know where any of the galleries were where you could actually go and see kind of Japanese art because you know in Tokyo it's not like there's the the cultural center where you can just walk around there and there's tons of galleries. They're all kind of sparsely spread out in different areas and you kind of need to know where they are or where the good ones are to be able to find them. Um, so yeah, uh, street art graffiti and was the biggest influence at that time. Cause you just walk around the street and you see it everywhere. Um, so, uh, to be able to still 
be creating myself as they, you know, I didn't have that much space at that time as well. Then that, that always kind of changes how you able to create stuff yeah. based on your surroundings. So I was always carrying around like a little black book mm -hmm. and instead of I know, writing a diary, I just like write a little note, go home that night and then just like draw a picture of it or draw something that was like a memory of it. And it was always like in a kind of a different style, but yeah, I was always just, uh, you know, taking it, even sitting on the train or just drawing in the park, you just like see something and it's like, I have to like make a little mental monologue or a drawing of something of that, or you'd like see a magazine on the ground and like rip out a page from that and stick it into it or something like that, or keep a, like a chopstick wrapper and they glue that into the book or the first time I had a yakitori, like put that in the book as well. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. like kind of a collage kind of mix, I don't know, a visual diary that I used to always keep. Mm -hmm. um, which actually is kind of what led into me starting to do, starting to meet other artists because mm. I'd always be carrying it around and Sometimes I'd be drawing on the train and some Japanese would approach me and it's like, Oh really? Okay. Broken English or, or like gesturing in a way, like, you know, what are you, what are you drawing? Mm -hmm. So they sit down and go, Whoa, whoa, it's nice. Whoa. And then let's hang out sometime. Like, oh, that's it. Cool. Just kind of met a lot of just like random people from these kind of experiences. Yeah. And or go to a party and be drawing or go to a friend's and <clears throat> they'd be like, you should see his book. It's kind of like, you know, I know before Instagram, I suppose that was a really good way to just introduce people to your work. Mm. It wasn't a conscious thing. Uh, it was just something I needed to do. And I was always, I always had it with me. Sure. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. That was like an early version of Instagram. I suppose <laughs> you could take out the book and show them this is what you do. And then they'd flip through and like, nice. Or they'd be like, ah, cool. Not interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. Right. That's cool. So you had your, had your little book and you were able to kind of show, uh, you know, some ideas and what you're working on and kind of exchange with other artists, I suppose. Um, hmm. and, and then what, like build up your network of, friends and um potentially you know collaborators in the future none of it was like pre-planned or anything like i'm gonna go out in the street and meet these people to get to do an exhibition to get to i wasn't like networking like that because mm -hmm. i didn't have the visual i mean the, sorry the uh linguistic capabilities to do that mm -hmm. so a lot of everything that I did was always like based on aesthetics or visual cues. Mm -hmm. Like you can tell, you know, like seeing somebody wearing a band t-shirt that you like, or seeing somebody, uh, like dressed in a particular way makes you think that they like hip hop or sure. seeing somebody style when they're skateboarding is like a little bit more like, uh, imaginative rather than being just like technically sound. Yeah. Or reasons. You kind of like 
I use that because I couldn't talk. I couldn't really talk in Japanese. So you have a lot of pointing, like, yeah. <laughs> right. Sick. I like suicidal tendencies. And like, Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really pure. It's kind of great. But yeah, that was, that was uh, a really good way to meet interesting people. Sure. Sure. Yeah. No doubt. Um, so, okay. Yeah. This was, this was the first year then, and the visa was for a year. So, um, what kind of happened, uh, around that point or when your year was coming up, like, were you able to get, uh, you mentioned you were working at this language school. Were you able to get a visa through that or? Um, no, I actually, uh, met this really amazing uh, friend who was like a pretty key figure in my life in Japan for a long time. Uh, she, we hang out a lot. She was into fashion and arts and stuff. And we always with like me and some friends were always doing that kind of stuff, but she was always like the honest one with me. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to study Japanese by myself it was, uh, because you know Japanese are very supportive of anybody that can speak like a little bit of Japanese mm-hmm. so I was <clears throat> like um, at home trying to study and learn Japanese and I was like really trying but I was doing it by myself and but I was like speaking to people and they kept on like wow you know you're really good you're getting better and I'd start to like if I don't believe you I think it's my Japanese is terrible, but they kept on saying it's getting better. And then one day she pulled me aside. She was like, dude, if you're actually serious about being in Japan, I got to tell you, you got to go to Japanese school. Your Japanese is terrible. <laughs> no one understands a word that you're saying. So really? And her boyfriend at the time, Japanese was next to her. And was like, like, is this true? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, from her advice, from there, I kind of just like made a kind of quick judgment. Like, I think I should really go to Japanese school mm-hmm. if I want to learn more about this country and really get involved with it. Oh, learn learn from the people. I I got to learn the language. So I went and studied Japanese for a year, and right. so I got the visa from the Japanese school. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what was the school that you entered? I went to Bunka Fukso Gakko, which is it's the there's a famous university called the Bunka Fashion College, mm-hmm. and it was recommended to me to go to this because they basically have a language course for international students to teach them Japanese to get into the school. Sure. So they're kind of like more of the curriculum is uh, teaching you about vocabulary for fashion and arts. So you learn a lot more of that off the bat uh, rather than uh, other language school of what I've been told. They kind of just stick more to just your regular day-to-day interactions and stuff to get you into uh, businesses and to uh, universities and stuff. So, right. Uh, when okay, cool. Yeah. So I guess that was 
more what you were looking for as well? And um, was it kind of as you expected when you're going through? Was it easier, harder than uh, you were kind of expecting? Uh, it was way harder. Than <laughs> yeah. I don't think I ever studied more in my life because um, mm-hmm. they had a really rapid pace. It was, it was, school was nine to three every day. Mm-hmm. But then afterwards, I probably had to study three or four hours by myself after school every day just to keep up with uh, class lessons because they, I think a lot of the people that went to that school were Korean, Chinese or Filipino or Taiwanese that already had some kind of connection with Japan. Mm-hmm. Whether that be Chinese already being able to read uh, uh, Chinese characters so they could just have to learn a little bit of, of the Japanese kind of language to be able to just read and uh, Koreans obviously have like close relationship and but they already had such a somewhat of a kind of connection to it whereas I had nothing mm-hmm. and so the class just like didn't wait they were just like you had to keep going it's like, I had no- <clears throat> it was like at the first probably three months of learning Japanese as you would probably be able to understand too it's like such a bizarre learning curve because you're always trying to connect it to something mm-hmm. or translate it into something connected to English, but you just takes you a while to learn that you just can't do it. Yeah, you have to just accept it as it is and just learn it for what it is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then, so I think it kind of breaks you at a certain point, and then you just kind of rebuild up into another personality in a way. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I found that super tough, but I'm really happy to have done it because I think without that small, just like one year uh, hardcore kind of boot camp studying, uh, it kind of set me up for everything to do in the future. Mm, for sure. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people, when they come to the country, like they have either studied at university or they have some, like, like you mentioned, some connection to the country or, um, you know, like perhaps, you know, they're going to school here. Um, it, it is tough, like for sure. If you're, uh, if you're not studying or you don't have that already. And so it seems like, yeah, that, that helped you in a big way. And okay. So yeah, we're, we're progressing on. And, um, so you did that and what, what kind of doors did that kind of open for you? And, um, so I assume that you needed a new visa after that, at this point. Well, after that, I just started to decided to go back to university and study art in Japan. Right on. Yeah. Um, so I, so, uh, my my language schools skills were nowhere up to the level needed for art university. But um, so after a year of studying at the Japanese language school, I applied to get into Japanese art university, and I kind of took the backdoor entrance, which you don't have to sit like a written test or or sit uh, uh, drawing tests and lectures and stuff. You had to submit like a pre-written essay and pre-painted pictures and then submit a folio and have an interview. 
So I went through that way. And uh, yeah, they accepted me. I was mm-hmm. kind of blown away. <laughs> really? <laughs> One of my friends, like, I was super nervous before going for the interview. I'd been accepted for the essays, being accepted for my skill for the paintings I submitted. And the final thing, you have to go for an interview. Mm-hmm. And I was really nervous the day before. I went for sushi with some friends. And another good friend that would tell me how it is, I asked him, like, he was a Japanese guy that lived in Sydney for a while, for a long time. So he mm-hmm. could speak English. He was really like, uh, I would say, a huge, huge figure for me. But uh, yeah, he he told me, I was like, man, do you think I'm ready? Do you think I can do this? And I was like, honestly, man, no way. Yeah, Japanese <laughs> is not this level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I can barely even read like a newspaper article. Um, but yeah, I got into art university. So somehow pulled it off. Then that was the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Right. So in terms of the lessons and everything, everything was in Japanese then. Yeah, everything was in Japanese. And, but the teachers and professors were really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Like, they knew from the beginning that there's this, you know, Australian kid doesn't really speak that much Japanese, but he is trying. And some people could speak English so they'd help me out, but they'd kind of give me like different homework. It wasn't easier homework. It was just stuff that I, at that time I could, you know, if they gave us a text during class that takes people five minutes to read, it would take me like two hours to go through and highlight everything, translate the words and stuff. So they would give me stuff to take home and do uh, the test. Or pretty early on, I figured out that all of the people we were studying was generally the texts that we got in class were translated originally from English or from or from a European language or America. So I would just go and find the original uh, the original text, and then I just read that and like figure out what they're talking about. Perfect, yeah. So I had to kind of, if anything, study or learn more about art than my the average student because. I had to read like you know, 10 pages to figure out that one paragraph that they were studying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. it, it had its actual positives, being oblivious. <laughs> but mm. uh, I figured out a way that made it work. And a lot of friends helped me through it as well, which I'm super grateful for. And the teachers were very kind as well. Um, but also because it's kind of art, there's after a while, there's like with any profession, there's a certain kind of um, language that you use and certain keywords. But once you start to know those words, then you're able to talk enough about what you're doing mm-hmm. once you've that out. So, yeah, I got enough to get it done. Right, right. And uh, so how long was that program for then? So that was for four years. <clears throat> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. The full four years. Okay. So, um, what did you like? Did you have to choose like a major or like a specialty, uh, in that program? Yeah. I chose, um, 
It's called Gainen, which is like kind of modern art, contemporary. Not it's loosely defined as kind of anything you want to do, but it's more like uh, theory based or conceptual based. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and within that, I more specifically did focus on installation, mm-hmm. installation and um, kind of performance art in a way, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But yeah, majoritively installation. Uh, pretty early on, I kind of picked up this this feeling of like if I was going to make anything, it was going to be if you're going to do painting, it was never just painting. It had you had to think about the uh, environment that you're going to put it in. I suppose this kind of came from graffiti. That you know what? It's not just a wall. It's not just a place. Like what's going to look good in this area with this surroundings or this environment? So you always had to change that. So I always felt that art, whatever it is, <clears throat> I think this branches out into music as well, that the experience around it mm. creates a lot more meaning into what the actual piece is. Right. Rather than that piece being static on a wall somewhere. For sure. You can be a lot more powerful if you have you know, sound, uh, the lighting is, is correct and the timing that you do it, the space you do it, the height of the ceiling. Um, yeah, yeah. Even that's people around it, you can have an intimate connection with something or the best painting in the world with like a thousand people around, like the Mona Lisa. You feel nothing because there's like 10 meters in front of you with people on their phones that you just can't even get close. So like, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel special. For sure. So yeah, um, yeah. So I went <clears throat> into installation, mm-hmm. uh, and I was kind of always doing like something different in that regard. Um, I think first year I tried to make a a house in the forest. I got a pretty bad grade. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's me and a friend kind of cutting down trees and trying to make this kind of like semi-joking sustainable house like in a tongue-in-cheek way that like everything is kind of sustainable nowadays so like just put the title on it and that'll be enough it was kind of that was the first year so ambitious and naive that was the first one and i got absolutely destroyed in the critique for that one so that was a good start. <laughs> um, but I would still do kind of painting and stuff as well. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, mixed media and installation, it was always had to have some kind of uh, environmental connection to it, like holistic experience. Mm-hmm. Which now looking back on it, it makes sense with everything that I've kind of gone into now too. Right. So then you kind of proceeded, um, hopefully your installations, uh, got better as you continued on and your critiques weren't so harsh from your peers and your teachers. And yeah. you, you kind of, um, well, you managed to, uh, you know, pass and go from year one to, to year four. Um, was there some like big final uh, installation or some big piece that you had to do sort of when you graduated? Um, yeah, 
yeah, the graduation piece, which you spend the final year basically doing that the whole thing. Everything's leading up towards that. Uh, yeah, I think after that first initial kind of blunder, uh, generally I was getting pretty good critiques. I know either A's or you know quite high sometimes. Mm-hmm. Majority of you around about in the top category. Um, and I started to kind of actually develop my concept that seemed to always be the thing that was always linking all the work together. And that was always space Mm -hmm. and how we interact with space, which I suppose it came as like, uh, I think this would be something that you'd be able to connect with too, like coming from a large country with a lot of like, backyard, you know, native environment, huge swathes of just space that, you know, you can drive along and see no buildings for a long time. Mm-hmm. Or the houses are a lot larger, the, uh, the kind of spaces you interact with with people are a lot larger. And then um, you take that as the norm. But then when you go to uh, a country with less space or a mega city like Tokyo, and all of a sudden your world is shrunk into like, bare basics what you need it was like that kind of became something that really fascinated me about how you get defined by the space that you live in like it controls everything that you're doing whether you want to make music but because the walls are so thin that you can't do it or you only have a small period to be able to do that so yeah you start going electronic because you can make everything on the computer with your headphones you can't do drums or guitars so that changes that or you don't have a huge studio to be able to do like two meter tall paintings so i think in japan a lot of people kind of focus on illustration a lot because you can use that small uh, environment you're in more efficiently or without fear of of having to pay your landlord money because you left paint marks on the wall yeah um yeah that that kind of like the psychology of space and how humans interacted with it kind of started to fascinate me and so that's also technology as well so how technology was also trying to help us to live in a world with less space but make it feel like we have more Mm -hmm. i think the iphone was the first thing that when that came out and seeing the way that everybody was using it, uh, I used to, I used to ride the train to university for three hours every day. And so a lot of time was spent on this train, just like looking at people Mm -hmm. and then just seeing how people, everybody just on the iPhone, as soon as that came out, like, yeah, things you would never do outside. Yeah people just started to do it and they watching a movie listening to music or talking with someone or you know playing games and it, it started to kind of really uh, visually over the course of like those kind of four years i was at university it started to change the environments that people existed in and the way people existed as well like it wasn't more a public space it was like 
it was a public space in which everybody existed in a, their own private world. Mm-hmm. So like things you would usually do at home, then you would do now can do outside and slowly those kind of social rules that used to have people existing, or you don't do that here, that started to kind of uh, fade away. For sure. And then you could just see the kind of spaces slowly changing over the years. And that was something that I noticed pretty early on. And that was something that stuck with me. And uh, from space and technology, how it changes, that's what my graduation piece was on. Hmm. So I made an installation and I made functional objects, these big, ridiculous, like they functioned, but I wanted to, the idea, the basic idea was to take the next step of where technology could go with taking the private space into the public space. So if you could read a book or watch TV or listen to music, what's like the final step that people want to go to in you know, a, a joking way. And I thought it was the toilet, shower, bed, and desk. So the idea was to figure out a way that you could create a portable version of all four of those and be able to entwine that with your daily lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I made a portable toilet, uh, a portable shower, a portable bed, and a portable desk. Right. See, and I, <clears throat> um, I had to use them all, like in public. So it's like it all folds up into a box, kind of like in a really analog, cumbersome way. Um, like they're really heavy, hugely. <laughs> unnecessary but that was the point it was meant to be like so cumbersome that you had to realize that you're choosing to do this rather than something so like sleek and, and well designed as an iphone right you actually have to think about what you use so they made these boxes would walk around the center of tokyo only once did i actually use it just for the video to prove that i made it and used it mm-hmm. and i had a shower in a car park it's like folds out and have a big sheet I go into the cup. I go into the box, have a shower, get out, wash myself and then keep going. Uh, went to the toilet on a crosswalk, kind of same thing on the corner. It had a little box that you could, you know, do number twos into and then you take it. It was all behind a sheet. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't have to fold that back up and carry that on your back again. And, the bed was like a little cubicle that you could put on a train. It's like a backpack and it folds out and then a sheet comes down like your own cubicle on the train. Mm-hmm. And then you pull it up and then you get off and you go to your next place. Yeah. Uh, and a desk was the basic one. Desk was just like a briefcase folds out into a desk. You can use that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I made for my graduation piece. Okay. Uh, I had a whole installation around it as well, which were just made up of places that I, wherever I took the video of me using it, I recreated that landscape in the installation. Right. Divided by like, like even 
like it's a white studio, but then you have this square with that scene, that scene, that scene. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, so that was my final piece. Uh, right. Yeah, I did see, I saw on, I guess, your Instagram and your website, I did see uh, some pictures of that and it seemed, uh, it seemed pretty wild, but it seemed uh, like, I think there was one on the train and uh, I think the desk one's there too. And it must have been like when you were out in public kind of using them, um, were you getting like, were you getting quite a few looks from people passing by or were people just walking by or? No, that was the thing that was kind of funny. Like no one, no, people just kind of looked like it was normal. It's like, like in some of the unedited footage, you can see it. Like people just walk past, don't even stop. Like, hmm. Seems like it's meant to be there. <laughs> <laughs> right. And on the train, I got kicked off once by the train driver. Okay. Um, and some other times on the train, I actually got complimented. Like the first <laughs> rudimentary guest that I made brought it onto the train and unfolded it. And this lady next to me was like, oh, that's an amazing idea. I want one. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, that I could see. Yeah. And uh, the bed one as well. The bed people actually like, oh. Mm -hmm. They were they weren't annoyed. I'm sure the guy next to me was annoyed. I think the other people were just a bit like, what? Yeah. What is this? Yeah. Or anything weirder on the train that it's not that big a deal. <laughs> sure. But um, yeah, it was, it, people didn't really stop and kick up a fuss about it or anything. It was, it was just like, kind of looked like it was a, it was a normal thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, all of the teachers as well, were they were yeah they were, I was really surprised by it like yeah. oh that's a good idea you should, you should kind of copyright that yeah like, there's a missing point here this <laughs> is meant to be a thing that people don't do we don't want this kind of future right right um but yeah I got a good review from that uh, I got shortlisted for the award for that mm -hmm been told I could have got the award, but my speech let me down because I panicked and I choked because you had to do your whole year's speech in 30 seconds and oh, I just wow. choked. Yeah. Uh, public and private. Um, this is what I made. And they just the blank looks on their faces. Just like, yeah. Okay. Next. <laughs> and my teacher was like, he knew it all because I had to explain it to him already. But, yeah, you, you cooked it. You really fucked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like a, it sounds like a great experience. The going through the full, full four years, regardless, and uh, going some places that you definitely weren't headed when you were going to school in Australia. So, um, you know, you did that, and then like. That's it sounds all you know like interesting and cool. Like, could you see like potentially after those four years or leading to the end of those four years, um, how you could, I guess, turn this into like a job or able to uh, make a living, um, in the art world after that? 
mm, no. Yeah. I could. I got it kind of that work that I was making at university pretty well. I had, I got one exhibition out of that as a result, or two, three, sorry. Um, but I kind of realized pretty early on, like commercially, installations in Japan is not really, yeah, no one's really buying them and putting them away in a warehouse somewhere. Mm-hmm. It generally kind of, as just a blanket statement, there is a lot of good uh, performance and, and installation art in Japan, but the overall market, in my opinion, is generally dominated by illustration, painting, and sculpture, with painting at the top in terms of monetary value, and illustration probably qualitatively is by far kind of one of the biggest things you see because mm-hmm. it can kind of be applied to fashion or posters or design whatever it's a lot more um uh, usable while it's installation not so much yeah yep so we after after university pretty much stopped that mm-hmm. and then kind of went on the job hunt a bit yeah um i'm curious like where did where did that lead you then you know you've you're going to school and you know you've got you've got some unique skills and you have your experience in uh the australian school a little bit but uh what kind of what were you thinking after that uh i kind of spent a couple of years uh you know, doing a little bit of soul searching. <laughs> Trying to, I went through a few different jobs, quite a few, like completely unrelated to art. A lot of it was just purely based on the fact that I can speak Japanese and English. So people, some friends or people introduced me to work. It's like, you can do this, so we think you can do that. One was doing like commercial sales for fashion. Um, one was working in retail, one was working. I briefly set back into English teaching again because I thought that was the best way for money mm-hmm. and I could still have some time to make stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, was, yeah, I was just pretty lost for a while. I didn't really know what to do. I didn't really think about that in the future. I was just kind of yeah doing things intuitively and everything felt right up into that moment. I thought it was going to be right after that moment of graduation but it didn't really pan out for probably the first two years of just going through jobs and figuring out what to do. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a friend introduced me to a company uh, as I needed to find a new job because the other ones weren't working. And she told me to come to the job just to have a talk and just like see it. I didn't think it was an interview. But when I got there, the boss sat down and was like, so show me your portfolio. Like, I didn't prepare anything for this. Honestly, I didn't think this was an interview. I thought this was just a chat. And then my friend was just like, oh, show him your Instagram. And he goes through and it's like, oh, nice, nice. Well, this is really nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you want to start? Start what? What am I starting? I don't know anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> And he was like, well, have you done graphic design? I was like, yeah, I studied it for three years. It's kind of funny that it took me full circle. And they're like, well, 
actually, firstly, I said that I did graphic design, mm -hmm. but he saw a sculpture that I made of my hand from like uh, third year, which I did a little bit of sculpture and I did a little bit of like crafts and stuff. He saw that. And he was a pretty forward thinking guy. So instead of like, I said I could do graphic design and he was like, I think you should go into 3D modeling because you already have that mentality, the mindset of deconstructing something into you know, shapes and forms. Uh, and so he hired me with, with expecting me to go into making or to doing 3D modeling. Mm -hmm uh cgr and the first four months i was there i was really trying to do that but my manager not that guy he, the boss he was really good but my manager at that time she was uh she was a handful to deal with she was really overbearing she would like really power harass uh you know because the boss's office and the manager's floor is separate like he had no idea what's going on and he's like put him into cg into 3d modeling make him learn that and she's yeah. like okay and then she made me study or do uh graphic design mm. so two things. i don't know how to do this and she's like really getting on my case because like, you studied this make this i don't like trying to look up tutorials i have no idea like asking people why like, i don't and i was like wrong that's wrong that's wrong i don't know that <laughs> yeah and then finally i had an opportunity she had like a, she left for like a month and under that time i got to go under the other manager which was the actual way well, there was only one other person doing 3d modeling at that time at the company so mm. then when she left for a month i like was taken on by him <clears throat> and started to study that a lot. And then I ended up being able to go into like 3D modeling and studying and learning that for, I did that for about six, six years, six or seven years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was a really great experience because like, it's such a incredible tool to be able to understand or conceptualize 3D forms. Mm -hmm. Even if you do want to turn them into anything physical, like for making furniture uh, or for designing sculptures or anything, mm -hmm. you can just make something like on that screen and just tweak it like, as you go till you get to that, that final form. Whereas before, if you're going to design, you'd have to be with clay or with like pencil and paper. It would take you so long to draw out something to conceptualize. For sure. Also, being able to have the ability to just create something really quickly on a screen and put it in an environment where you plan it to be, it's like, uh, yeah, an incredible skill that kind of really helped me out. I could always see the value of that whenever I started it. The first time when I was studying it, I wanted to keep at it because it seems super valuable mm -hmm. in the future for mm -hmm. whatever course you go into. Um, and quite a rare skill as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I spent probably like seven years studying and learning that. Right. And then yeah. applying it to work too. Um, you were at this place for seven years. And yeah. when did you start doing the 
3D model modeling how many years into it? Oh, I got into that pretty much from the get-go. Um, yeah, I was probably only doing the graphic design stuff for like maybe a month or two. Oh, okay. And then I was able to <clears throat> do it. Uh, I wasn't very good at it. I was terrible at it. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, I just went into 3D modeling pretty much from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And then was doing pretty well anything they asked me to do or just studying everything I could at the time. Starting off doing really small kind of stuff, just basic models, and then <clears throat> working my way up to more complicated things. And then it eventuated with me uh, in charge of making photorealistic 3D human avatars mm-hmm. as photorealistic as possible <clears throat> from doing from, uh, we did it from a pretty much from a scanning based system called photogrammetry and from that you get basically the rudimentary model with all the information of the face and then you have to like clean it up and add on micro details and everything and then add hair eyebrows freckles uh, imperfections and all that stuff and then render it out or turn it into an avatar or something Mm -hmm. Um, yeah that was the end point that i was working at right you were kind of i guess Throughout your time there, you were building up your skills, sort of um, tackling some bigger projects. And then, um, like, did you kind of see a career path at this company or you were always kind of thinking, oh, I'll just be here a few years and kind of move on to something else? No, I wasn't. I could see the potential of and the power of learning 3D modeling. I could always see how useful that could possibly be but i didn't really know how in which way to apply it i suppose the only way i thought was like you know making interesting 3d graphics and the design of advertising or something that was kind of it's only really the end goal that i thought it would go into i didn't think it would be something actually design related like in uh, uh in the physical sense Mm-hmm. I, I think that that was always something that was a bit frustrating with 3D modeling for me. It always felt like it just stays on the screen and that's it. That's it's done. Whilst you just wish it could be put into the real world. Like it could have a physical form and then that feels like it would actually be finished, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and I was always trying to figure out where that would actually go. Um, and I suppose it it did end up helping me with furniture, but that's I wasn't that wasn't pre-planned. That was just something where it's like everything lined up and it made a lot of sense to be doing that now. Right, right. So I guess let's talk about like your transition um yeah. from this company to what you're doing now. Um how did that kind of work? Like did things kind of wind down naturally i suppose or were you kind of looking for a way out of this place or what was that transition a, a, like? bit, of, a bit of both i think it was pretty well uh for both parties mutually beneficial it's quite a corona was a big um influence 
Mm-hmm. I would say that's probably the biggest, you know, without that, I wouldn't be doing any of that, this, and I probably would have maybe stayed in that company a bit longer. I don't know, but I think I was, I was done. Um, so, yeah, so through Corona, I was working from home. But then uh, my friend, Mike Sunder, started uh, his own company or co-partner in uh, the Japanese branch of a advertising company called Push. Uh, so he was opening up an office for that. And he asked me if I wanted to make all of the furniture for it because he needed a bunch of tables and chairs and whatever, everything for an office. Um, so I said, yes, and I was like, I'll do this if, you know, I can, can I work from your office? Uh, and then I'll do it for free. I was like, yeah, sure. Cause he didn't have anyone in here at that time. And he was a bit, you know, don't want to be in a big office by yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I was making that, went about making the furniture for the place and it just so happened like so i was looking up for a local wood dealer a wood shop uh, around that area in kiro mm-hmm. uh, and i found one called kyo mokazai yeah so we got the wood from there and they would deliver it they would help us out and everything um then like i would keep going back there for advice like i need to buy this or i want to make this uh do you because it's the difficulty of making wood is that a it's really dirty and noisy and you can't really do it at home. You get wood dust everywhere, and you need quite a lot of access to tools, just for like small kind of specific tools. Yeah. So I kept on asking them, like, do they know any places that the studio or places that you can rent equipment or something, or do they rent equipment, or what would you use for this? Blah blah. Uh, and eventually, after a while. They just said to me, uh, you know, we can't rent it to you, but you can you can come here and use it anytime you want. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's way better than <laughs> anything that I don't want to, you know, I could go in there and use their workshop and use any machinery except for the table saw. And didn't have to do it at home. So now I had a studio and a place to have access to all the tools and their advice and they kept on like anything I wanted to know about anything kind of how would you do this how would you do that they would just tell me everything <laughs> so uh, that was the beginning of it so from making this office with my friend and then so while I was still working for Atali doing the design at this time I was you know working at my friend's office in Hiro Every lunch break, I would go to the to uh, Kyoa, the wood store, for like two hours, mm. and I would just go there for two hours and I, you know, chip off, make as much as I can, and then you know, the next day I go back two hours and I just keep doing this. And then, while Corona was happening, it was kind of like less work was coming in, so I was kind of started from going like full-time down to more like freelance. Mm. Like I'll, I'll work like four days a week or I'll work three days a week or like just bit by bit kind of started whittling down 
And then, because there wasn't that much work going on, you're kind of doing the exact same thing every single day. And it was becoming pretty monotonous. Like I had to just go through all of these heads, clean them up next, kind of like a conveyor line. Just yeah. do this next, do this next. And yeah, during Corona, no one was really thrilled with how things were going. So it just kind of amplifies how you feel. For sure. So um, I started to kind of get less and less enthusiastic. And I think they could feel that. And then I went in for a talk and I'm like, um, so, you know, do you want to come back and work in the office? Because I think productivity is kind of going down and, you know, we'll have to put you back on contract or something. And then I was like, no, I don't want to come back to the office. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, then we'll have to put you on like proper freelance contract and you'll be competing against someone else. I'm like, don't worry about it basically <laughs> like i said like okay call me when you have a job and i'll let you know when i'm ready to work um and basically we just never kind of contacted again after that right. i was like you know i'm out and i'm gonna be like yep thank you farewell um yeah, we just like never contact <laughs> again. It was just like just walled away. Right. Yeah. Just sort of unceremoniously, just yeah. The way it happened. Right. I'm I'm kind of curious, like, so you agreed to do the furniture for your friend's place. Did you have experience uh in making furniture prior to that? Um I did, but I will say that now in hindsight. No, <laughs> like, yeah, I would make some kind of basic rudimentary beds and shelves and stuff like anybody can, um, but it's just no one really does it in Tokyo. So people kind of ask me to do stuff just because they don't, no one really knows anyone that does it. Yeah, and it, like now looking back on it, like, yeah, I did a pretty shitty job. Sorry, Mike, if you listen, but uh, I thought I did a really good job at the time. I really tried hard. But then there's just certain things that you don't know without experience. Uh, but I did really try to do my best. I thought it was a great job. But then after getting taught by the killer guys, by Daisuke in particular, uh, then I'm like, ah, oh, that's, that's how you do it. But yeah. So, um, yeah, I was making like a little bit of furniture at the time, just really basic stuff. Uh, and it wasn't until finding Kyoa that I started to do more and more complicated and complex designs in the right proper way and actually designing it because I had access to the tools. Mm -hmm. Before I only basically had a saw and a chisel and my screwdrivers so, or drills. So making the best with what you could then, not really designing, just pretty basic. Right. So then what, how, did you, how did you go about, you know, finding more contracts or finding people uh, who are interested in your services then? Like, how did you kind of build up from there? 
Well, I started with, because um, I got a new apartment and I decided at that time to like, turn my apartment into essentially an exhibition space. So everything in the apartment I, I would make. So when people come over, they're like, oh, this is great. Uh, where'd you get this from? So I made it, I made that, I made that, I made that. <laughs> like, oh, could you, could you make this for me? Or could you make that? Sure. And it kind of, it really started off when uh, I think I made a table for a friend, for Michael Tolshman. Uh, he asked me to make something. Was it just like a round coffee table? It was just probably was about five centimeters, 10 centimeters thick mm-hmm. and about like circular, like diameter, like 90 centimeters, maybe 90 to 100. Um, and then I made that and I put that on Instagram and then uh, people just responded to it and they say, oh, I want that. That's great. I want this. And then just started to go with snowball and people would kind of ask me to do something similar or they want a bench or they want a coffee table or they want an actual table or they want something a bit more designed like this or yeah, it just kind of all started to. And I think, uh, yeah, definitely just putting it out bit by bit on social media and people could just start seeing it <clears throat> and they just kept going. And the more I did it, the more I learned. So the more I could design and, you know, you just start developing more and more as a result of doing it more. Right. Yeah, for sure. And like you mentioned, uh, working, working at that, studio working kind of under those guys um like you said uh daisuke in particular i think really kind of helped you along too in terms of improving your skills right yeah but it was also like as i learned from them because they were just uh carpenters so not in a cruel way to say just carpenters but what they would be doing was never anything design related. Designers would contact them and ask them to make this, and then they you know, give it to the designer who finishes it off. <clears throat> but um, for me, I could have a really kind of explorative process because you know I would conceptualize all these like three D designs from three D modeling, and just like pretty well just make whatever I kind of thought would be interesting and then go to ask Daisuke, like, is this possible? You know? hmm. Sometimes no, sometimes they're like, yeah, you can, but it's, you know, you got to do this and this and like, yeah, that's a bit out of my league or that seems pretty bothersome. Um, yeah. Having the 3d modeling was definitely like really fun and helpful because you could actually take the image to them or just send it to them and they see it, the whole thing. And then, uh, Having an anti-scale, they could just show everything. Right, right, right. So, what was it, what was the name of that company again, and where where was the studio based out of? It's in uh, Shirokane Takanawa, which is just behind Hiro, uh, and it's called Kyoa Mokuzai. Okay, cool. Yeah, right on. And then, so for yourself, you're kind of taking like the more 
a little more like uh, artistic view to it. And they're more like doing like the workman side of it. Mm. Yeah. And, and then um, you're kind of playing off of each other with different ideas and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. There it is. So it was, it was great to have the access to when you're designing something to be able to do it, design it with the actual people that know how to make something. For sure, yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, quite a lot of times that I learned with being at a design company, like, or advertising or whatever, and you had to get a job done, there was so many times where there was a kind of communication overlap. Like, the managers had no idea about what goes into doing this, but then the customer wants this done. But then, you know, in a design perspective, it takes, like, so much time that you can't do it in that timeline but the managers or the people trying to get the job don't know this so they're just like yeah sure we can do it and then you see let's see the kind of the <clears throat> look of shock on my on my manager's face when uh someone would come over and tell him what he has to do i was like all right we have to do this by next monday like, what it's just gonna take like six months to do he's like oh really well you got till monday <laughs> It's just like, oh, oh, <laughs> everyone having a little meltdown. It used to happen so much, but yeah, uh, like being able to actually design it and then talk to the people while you're designing it about how to make it and what's possible. Is, I think it's a really, I think everyone should have a, at least some understanding of what it is that goes into making any object mm. just so you can kind of really appreciate it or yeah, at least know what goes in behind the scenes to getting where you are. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So I guess just to follow it along, right? So how long now, like, have you been sort of doing this full time? And like, when did you kind of think, okay, this is something I'm going to be able to uh, sustain myself with and do uh, full time? Uh, it wasn't really pre-planned it was more desperate like i stopped and it working in the middle of corona and kind of had to make it work i was also doing other things like cooking and doing pop-ups and stuff to bring in some money too mm. while i was in the beginning uh yeah it was fun but yeah, that was more or less to keep you know, uh, have some money coming in when there wasn't any jobs. Uh, I see now, we have been about three years now, four years, maybe four years mm -hmm. since the start. Mm. Right, right, right. And so these days you're pretty frequently, you're getting enough work to uh, sustain it. I know you're down, uh, you're down in the South now, you're down in Amami, is it? quite different when you're uh switching locations as well uh yeah it's completely different but part of the reasons to switch locations is to do a little bit of uh cultural research in japan they like, when i was in tokyo that was you know good for certain things but uh after finding this story the woodstock kill then it kind of, I guess, piqued my interest in Japanese 
craftsmanship again. So, you, and a lot of the craftsmen, obvious or not, generally aren't in Tokyo. They're kind of all spread out more in the countryside. <clears throat> so, in an attempt to go, try and go and study these uh, things more, we've been for almost like a year and a half since last year in April. We've kind of been going around Japan um, trying to study certain kind of cultures or certain craftsmen. So down in Amami, why I came here was they do a thing called like Dorezome, mud dyeing and indigo dyeing. Indigo dyeing isn't particular to this island, but mud dyeing is. And they have a huge culture from that. And I thought that'd be interesting as Australia has similar uh, um, minerals in the soil. Have kind of similar makeup to the soil here. You might be able to do something of the same effect in Australia that could be interesting too. <laughs> so, uh, how this applies to furniture, you might ask, because I was thinking when you're using any of the materials that you might use for like a deck chair or for the back supports of any chairs or, or even shelves or whatever, then that time you could be able to dye it in a regionally specific kind of. Uh, color palette. Mm -hmm. I thought that'd be interesting. So just trying to get more skills and just apply them more to uh, the product to make it have a little bit of a story behind it. Right. Or a little, yeah, yeah. little just sort of cultural purpose behind it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can appreciate that. And, you know, maybe makes your product or your work sort of stand out from other people's and it adds your own sort of artistic uh you know signature whatever you want to call it to your work specifically if you're doing something that other people aren't um yeah that's a cool idea like you mentioned learning from different crafts people um you know traveling around are you still able to you know keep up the work and still able to um you know make furniture while you're traveling or do you kind of view it, you know, as like a research sort of thing? No, we're still able to make stuff. You just have to <clears throat> change it up to everywhere that you go, uh, which is interesting because it does become more, uh, the object becomes more defined by its surroundings or where you are. Like in Amami, they don't really have a, uh, lumber industry anymore. They only have lumber for construction purposes like pine and cedar. Mm. So if you want to make anything design based, you kind of have to like, I don't know, hunt through stockpiles of like old carpenters storage or, uh, pick up driftwood from the beaches and go around kind of collecting that stuff. And then you can't really design something. You have to kind of just find as much wood as you can and then figure out what that's going to be. So you have to take a different approach, which is, which is in a different way, which is interesting too. Yeah. And I yeah. kind of use different objects from the island, like learning palm tree weaving or making ropes that you can turn into kind of the seating pad if you weave them through. Right. Yeah. So you just have to learn a lot more stuff. 
So you can't make it, and it kind of actually makes it more fun because you have to get out quite imaginative about how to turn, you know, half a stump of driftwood <laughs> yeah. into uh, like I don't know some stool or something. Uh, right. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, would the majority of your clients actually be on the island, or would you ship stuff all across the country? Uh, they would be on the island but some there are still a lot of jobs that i have to do but i think they're more specific to stuff that i would need to be in tokyo to do that mm -hmm. so just have to take orders and then go there for a month or something and just churn them out well it's the stuff here is actually we're renovating an apartment for somebody we met so they've given, given me uh, the freedom to do whatever I want, paint the walls, make make the art for the walls, uh, you know, gut out the insides and make all the tables and furniture or whatever I want. They're like, yeah, sure, just do whatever. Yeah. Right, right, right. That's kind of cool then. Yeah, so it's not it's hmm. not just the furniture, but it's like the whole design of the place and yeah, the interior. Which I guess... Yeah, uh, when uh, it kind of, for me, it feels like it went full circle. I think that's why furniture I gravitated towards because it is doing installation art again. Right. But yeah. actually for having a purpose <clears throat> that people can actually understand them. Mm -hmm. Whereas installation art is <laughs> like in that one area, in that one place, in the gallery it's defined and it could be interesting but you can't you know you're not going to live your whole life around an installation but now this is actually doing finally that kind of thing so it all kind of makes sense now and everything kind of wrapped up into this kind of naturally happening whether that's from the interior of doing some installation art, making some furniture, and then learning 3D modeling. And uh, now I can finally put everything into this and make concepts for it. And just kind of everything came back full circle, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's like your journey and your skills along the way kind of like led you back to sort of where you started. Um, yeah. I guess, yeah, kind of like wrapping up, like then. Uh, if there's, you know, people listening in who kind of think, oh, okay, this could be an opportunity for me, you know, I'm interested in, uh, you know, art and furniture and crafts, um, you know, how could I come to Japan and do something like this? Uh, would you have some like advice for people coming from overseas to kind of get into uh, the same sort of industry that you are, that you're in? I think there, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of programs put in effect in certain areas that you can come for like a a three month uh, workshop and learn about these crafts and, and they explain to you the history and all the skills and things necessary to get like a basic understanding of it. Uh, I think that's a good way to get involved in it. it. Costs a little bit of money, but it's definitely I think worth it if that's what you're into. And then from there, I do think it's quite easy to get your foot in the door here 
in only in the way that not that many people actually do it and it's actually really accessible where i think that's probably the biggest surprise for me is that the only reason i could really kind of do this is i actually just ask people mm -hmm. that was <clears throat> you know i asked them about advice at cure and they were just very friendly and happy to give it to me and i asked uh, you know people doing the mud dyeing and like, yeah they're happy to give information and they're happy to kind of help you out i think they because not that many people are actually interested in it now mm. or if they are they're not really interested to do it themselves because it is a lot of work like doing it the traditional way it's quite, it's quite labor intensive mm. like, there's so many steps along the way to do it it's crazy but it's it's it is amazing when with the end product so um yeah i think if you just go around and just get yourself out there and just ask people mm -hmm. and you know start relationships in some way this network of, whilst being obviously respectful to everything um mm -hmm. yeah i think if you, you just kind of go around and just ask people like, i don't think enough people really do that yeah or they always I've been asked a few times, like, how did you, you know, get into this? Or how did you meet this person? Or how did you get to use a studio? So you just asked. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's obvious enough, right? But yeah, like you mentioned, uh, maybe, maybe these people, you know, they don't have people, they don't have anyone asking them, and they're kind of happy uh, to help someone out. Just got a final question, a couple of final questions that I ask to every guest, if that's cool, cool with you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. So, uh, you know, as this is called, uh, ADSR inspirations, they kind of relate to that. So, uh, first one is, I guess this could be about your career, uh, your art or your life in general. So what is, uh, what is something, or it could be someone that, uh, has really inspired you in your work or in your life? Uh, I'd have to say Daisuke from Kyola. Mm -hmm. Is I mean, that family just, they were so nice and so uh, informative and welcoming. Uh, they just, they taught me everything. And that, I think, what they did for me, I kind of want to pass on to other people. Kind of inspired me to, yeah, you know, uh, inspire other people or just give people an entranceway if they need help to be able to do this stuff or whatever. I can do the help. But yeah, Daisuke from Kill Em Off, right. and the whole Aoki family, uh, for sure. Yeah. Mm, right, right. Yeah, that didn't didn't take too much hesitation. You kind of knew where you're going with that one um <laughs> i guess a, yeah I, I guess it is like you know the relationship uh the style like it's prevalent in other countries but you know more i guess defined in japan with this kind of like senpai and kohai and sort of learning from the person who's more experienced or older but uh it seems like more so probably with trades as well, where 
it gets passed on in generations, things like this. Yeah, yeah. He learned it from his uh, by his grandpa. But he didn't learn it from his grandpa, but he learned it from his grandpa's friend who made the company together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then he passed him. I think yeah, that just that relationship, I think, is such a uh a lovely system to have set up i know quite a few countries do have that kind of situation as well but i think in japan you're so indebted mm-hmm. or if they do want to help you out i know it's, i think every country has that in a certain way you know the person that gets your foot in the door and you, you always feel like you want to continue on what they've done for you no matter industry yeah, for sure. Right. So yeah, last one for you then. So it kind of relates to that. Um, so what does it mean for you? Uh, I guess you mentioned like if you ever got the chance to sort of take on a student or someone or people who kind of have seen your work over the years or they see what you're doing. Uh, what does it mean for you then to be uh, inspiration or inspirational to other people? Uh if I am inspirational, that's amazing. Uh, I would say if, if anybody, what I can do or what I love to do is if anybody has any questions or anything they need help with, I'd be happy to teach them. Uh, just, you know, pass on the knowledge that I got from Daisuke and just keep it going. Just keep it rolling. Right, yeah. So if anyone wants to know anything or they want to be taught something, I'm always happy to uh, help out. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So just to continue with that, if people are interested in your work, uh, checking out your furniture, where's the best place uh, for people to check out uh, what you're doing or to follow what you're doing? Um, I just say to just check out Instagram. It's Mm -hmm. always kind of updating with new things that I'm learning, new techniques and new skills and crafts. and some of the finished up projects or current projects, it all, it all goes up on the Instagram. Mm-hmm. I have a website, but people don't really look at that that much these days. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. Instagram. Okay. So it's just at, uh, at Will Ross Robinson. Yeah. That's okay. right. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, if anyone wants to check out uh, Daisuke's Instagram too, it's uh they've got two it's both called kyowa mokuzai Mm -hmm. cool yeah we'll put uh we'll put a link to that on our end as well thanks man it's been a pleasure thanks for having me on all right yeah thanks once again man so that was will robinson and this is james mallion with adsr inspirations until next time thanks for listening so there it was everyone our extended chat with will be sure to get on his Instagram and see what he's been making lately. Or if you want to even commission Will to make a unique piece of furniture for your living space, don't hesitate to contact him. And once again, special thanks to Sean for doing the production work and Leona for doing the art and social media and keeping everything on task. That's all from us this week. If you like what we're doing, make sure to drop us a line on Instagram, Facebook, or X. Everything is 
at ADSRPod. Thanks again, most of all, to all of you, our listeners. Until next time, as always, stay inspired.